0: Now, in these parts of the book of Isaiah, the prophet's attention is increasingly on the figure that he calls the servant of the Lord. This servant of the Lord receives the title Israel, and the reason being the nation of people that descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who became the nation of Israel, through their obstinate rebellion and sin, they forfeited the right to be called God's people. To the, they forfeited the title Israel. And so in their place, God raised up, or he would raise up from Isaiah's standpoint, he would raise up a true servant, the servant of the Lord, and he would be the true Israel who would offer up to God and render unto God all that the nation should have given to the Lord. And as Isaiah foresees the coming of the servant of the Lord who receives upon himself the true title of Israel, Isaiah foresaw the difficult path that lay before the servant, the difficult path that lay before Jesus. So it is really Isaiah prophetically summarizing the difficulties that Jesus will face when he says in verse 4, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. It really makes us uncomfortable to hear that. Some that is something that the Savior would actually say. It makes us uncomfortable that he he found any part of his ministry to save us a difficult task or something that he was very uh, discouraged about. But what we need to understand is if we ever had any illusion that Jesus was unfazed by the difficult things he experienced, we can no longer think that way. You see, Jesus is not faithful because he was unfeeling and unbreakable. Rather, Jesus is faithful because He persevered through deep discouragement. He served the Lord even when things were very difficult, when his heart was breaking. That's what makes Jesus faithful, not that he was unfeeling and unbreakable, but that he persevered through deep discouragement and never gave up. And that is what we hear the prophet Isaiah saying because he, he foresees the servant. Yes, he, will, he would be deeply discouraged. The, the difficulties, the trials, the challenges that he would meet would break his heart. And yet we see and we hear the servant of the Lord saying in verse 4, Yet, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. You see, Jesus trusted God to bring about the result that he could not see with his own eyes. My right is with the Lord. My God, he sees things accurately. My recompense, my reward is with my God. And God honored Jesus' faithfulness. And that's what we read in verse 6. God will give to his Son to his suffering and faithful servant, not only Jacob and the preserved of Israel, but the whole world. And the Lord says, "I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth." And that's a summary of last week's passage. and what follows today, seven, verses 7 through 13 is the very fulfillment of God honoring that promise to to honor His suffering and persevering servant. And the first thing we see is that kings and princes honor the servant. Kings and princes honor the servant. Look at verse 7. We read, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer Of Israel and his Holy One. Now, in these parts of Isaiah's book, the book of Isaiah, that title Israel belongs to the servant of the Lord, and the title Holy One obviously clearly belongs to the servant of the Lord. So, verse 7 is saying, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, the Redeemer of the servant of the Lord. Now, let's think about that for a moment. The sinful nation forfeited the name Israel so that in their place, God raised up a true Israel, the sinless, faithful son. And he is the holy one, the sinless one, devoted to the Lord with his whole heart. Yet this true Israel and the holy one needs a redeemer. Why is that? Well, to us, when we hear the word Redeemer, we understandably, we understand the word Redeemer in terms of our own need as sinners. So to us, when we hear the word Redeemer, we think of someone who saves us from our sin. Uh, But the word Redeemer uh, is really the kinsman Redeemer. The kinsman Redeemer is someone who sees the hurt and the need of his family, and he steps in to meet their needs at his own cost. And so there's a very beautiful example of a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament. You remember Boaz, don't you? Boaz became a kinsman redeemer, and it's the same word that is used here. Boaz became a kinsman redeemer for his, uh, his relatives Ruth and Naomi. Naomi. But when Boaz became a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, he did not save them from their sins, but he saved them from great need and suffering. And it is in that sense that Jesus needs to be redeemed, not from sin, of course, because he was the Holy One. He was the sinless, faithful one, but he needs to be redeemed as the one who greatly suffered and face great difficulties. And indeed, he is the one Isaiah says, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. That's what Jesus needs redemption from, the suffering, the humiliation, the rejection. That is to say, Jesus suffered dishonor and mistreatment Why? Because the world around him saw no value in his person or works. And indeed, Jesus suffered because he he poured his life and his heart to his disciples and to everyone around them. But you know, don't you, when you read the New Testament, you realize the people that Jesus poured his life and heart into, they didn't understand him at all. They were clueless. They often caused Jesus to feel a sense of sorrow. But Jesus, Jesus found the strength in the Lord. Even when his eyes, with his eyes, he could not see the fruit of his labors. He trusted in the Lord, made the Lord his strength who is faithful and now Now comes his recompense, his reward. Verse 7, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Well, kings and princes are by definition the most esteemed people in a room. Kings stay seated while others enter, and princes bow before no one. But what is Isaiah saying? God is saying, because his son was so faithful, this is how God, the Lord, is going to honor his faithful servant. The kings will rise in the presence of Jesus because one who is greater in esteem and honor has come into their presence. And even princes will fall down before Jesus to honor the son. And isn't it interesting? Since since the the coming, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, many kings and princes have indeed served the Lord Jesus as their sovereign. And yet, nevertheless, many still dishonor him today. Many still reject his claims. But one day, one day, as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, God has highly exalted him And you remember the context of the passage? How Jesus Christ, who by right was God, entitled to the glory and the prerogatives of God, he made himself a servant in order to save us. And God has highly exalted him so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What joy it will be to one day, to one day see our faithful and worthy Lord receive the honor and the praise that he deserves. You know, when you think about the end of the world, what do you think about? When you think about, for example, uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation. Are you more captivated by the thought of the beast or the events of the end times? Or are you more captivated by your glorious Lord, the worthy Savior receiving the praise and the honor that it, it deserves? Where when you and I finally get to see our heart's desire being fulfilled, to see the nations bow before him and casting their crowns at his feet, that's the, that's the promise of the Lord. And that's what he is going to do. Kings and princes honor the servant. Secondly, God honors the servant. God himself honors the servant. That is to say, though the whole world should dishonor Jesus, God will honor him to the uttermost. So, verse 8 In a time of favor, I have answered you, in a time of salvation, I have helped you. Paul cites this very verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and he cites that verse in order to showcase Jesus' ministry of reconciliation, how Jesus came, and in his death and resurrection, he reconciled the holy God with sinners, and how Jesus came, and in his death and resurrection, he reconciled sinners to sinners. And the beautiful thing about this is this. Although many people rejected Jesus so that ultimately he was crucified, his works bore the great fruit of reconciling the holy God to sinners and one estranged sinner to another. Now think about what this meant for Isaiah's original hearers. Isaiah's original audience, they were war-torn people who were taken as captives into a foreign land. So they experienced and they lived through bloody hostility. And they witnessed also the temple, the temple of the Lord being destroyed. A symbolic statement that God was no longer present in their midst. Isaiah's original hearers were people longing for peace, peace both with God and with one another, peace in the presence of their holy and sovereign Lord and peace with their neighbors, and the peace that they long for. It will come through Jesus Christ. So verse said, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, Jesus is God's covenant. Jesus is God's promise to his people. And God honors Jesus by reserving every blessing to spring only from Jesus. In other words, the way that God honors his son is that we, you and I, we find blessing in no other place except in Jesus. That is how God honors His son. And in order to to drive that point home, Isaiah brings in the history of Israel's exodus from Egypt. And he does that to showcase the great blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. So when you look at verse 9 and following, the Lord says, They shall feed along the way. Who? Those who have received the, the servant of the Lord, the suffering and faithful servant, those who have received the Messiah as God's covenant, those who look to Jesus as their salvation and kinsman redeemer, they they shall feed along the ways. They shall not hunger or thirst. The way that God led His people Israel out of Egypt, the way that He rained down bread from heaven and made water to flow in the wilderness, And if you think about that exodus, you realize that journey out of Egypt to their promised uh, home and land was a journey under God's care. And what stands out so amazingly, and this is, it depends on where you want to put the focus on. Naturally, you see there are many rebellions and stupidity and foolishness. And I think naturally, we see something like ourselves in their stubbornness, and our thoughts are drawn to that. But you know, that's only the half of the story, and not even the most interesting half. Because as we see their stubborn foolishness and sinfulness, we see God's amazing grace and care. He provides for them. He shelters them. He leads them. And this is the image that Isaiah recalls in order to drive from the point the great blessings that Jesus will be to us. As Jesus leads us back to God, God through Jesus will protect, God through Jesus will provide, and God through Jesus will become our guardian. And so in verse 11, the Lord says, And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up. In other words, nothing can stand in the way of the whole world coming to Jesus. And if you ever want to see a proof that this promise was fulfilled, just look around you. If I'm not mistaken, none of us are of Jewish stock. There's enough of us here to represent a great part of the world. God has fulfilled His promise, hasn't He? God removed the mountains that stood in the way, made it into level ground so that people from every tribe and national language could come Jesus, And he raised the highway. Uh, A highway is literally that. A pathway that is raised above his surroundings. A pathway that you cannot miss. And so God has made Jesus that highway that leads back to him. And so verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar. And behold, these from the north and from the west. In other words, that's what uh, he said in verse 6, isn't it? It is to light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That's not the only thing that I have in store for you. But I will make you as a life for the nations. So people have come from north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. Not only the tribes of Jacob, not only the preserved of Israel, but the whole world find their blessings in Jesus Christ. Which gods of the ancient world could have done such a thing? These so-called gods of Babylon, petty little gods, unable to keep their own people, false gods, pretenders, but our God. He keeps not only the people of Israel, but He blesses the whole world through Jesus Christ. And that is how God honors the servant. And that brings us to the third and the last point. His people honor the servant. His people honor the servant. So what can we say about all this? Verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult. Or Earth, Break forth the mountains into singing. Joyful worship is the only thing that remains to be done, because God has done everything. You see, He sent his son. He sent his son to be his and our servant. And even though he was dishonored and mistreated, Jesus was faithful. And in that Jesus, that suffering and faithful servant of the Lord, we find ourselves blessed. And so it ends with this beautiful verse in verse 13. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. And one commentator puts it like this. Comfort is what the Lord does, and compassion is what he feels. I like that. Comfort. The Lord comforts. That's what he does. And compassion, that's what he feels in his heart. And that is why you and I, we honor the Lord Jesus with glad. Worship. You know, sometimes I see um, Christians in church worship service, I'm not talking about any of you, <laughs> who in the time of singing praises remain still. Their lips are not moving. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you want to sing? Don't you want to sing and let your heart rejoice? Because, you see, we praise what we love. A man, a man in love sings the praise of his beloved. A diehard sports fan will be there to cheer his team on, come rain or shine. You see, our love is made complete in the act of Praise. And that is why we praise Jesus. And with our praise, our love for Him grows. And our love for Him matures with our praise. So that's the first thing we do. We honor Jesus with a glad worship. Secondly, we honor Jesus with a heartfelt trust. Imagine this, that God feels nothing towards you except compassion, no wrath, no regret. He has no feelings towards you except compassion. And he has no other purpose or plans for you other than to comfort you. And you know, of course, when the Lord speaks about comforting his people, it's never there, there. When the Lord comforts, he comes to the people in need who have been broken and crushed. And He lifts them up. And he enables them to do what they could not. So imagine that. That's what Jesus has done. God, in his infinite heart, there is no feeling except compassion for you. And in his infinite wisdom in which he created the universe and he's even now moving the universe toward his goal, he has no other plans except to comfort you. So what greater assurance can there be for afflicted people? And we are afflicted, aren't we? Uh, sometimes we experience a little bit of what Jesus experienced, too. We, we love and we give ourselves, but never to see the result and the fruit of our labors. We get discouraged. Life burdens us, and we are crushed. We are afflicted. But this is what Jesus has done for you. His whole heart, God's whole heart, is open to you in love. And he has ordained all things that have been and will be. He has ordained all things for your glory. And that is what Jesus has done. Amen. Now let's pray. Father, we honor you and we honor our faithful Lord Jesus Christ, who for the sake of your glory and our salvation became a servant, who denied himself everything that he might lift us up out of bondage and death and misery, who in his death and resurrection gives us the right the privilege of being your children. So we honor the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray that you would lift up our hearts, move our lips, that we may offer up to Jesus our glad worship. And may we find assurance and hope and comfort in life, knowing what Jesus has done for us. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.